everyone, this is Jennifer Bryant and welcome to the Practical Family Podcast where we are building strong foundations and healthy homes. Welcome back families, I'm so glad to have you back listening to the Practical Family Podcast. Today is a special Christmas edition of Practical Family because I've invited our very own Pastor Waxer Tipton onto the podcast today. You will be blessed by this message and you're going to want to take notes because he joined me personally in his living room to record this and it's based on his sermon from last year. But in a conversational manner, Waxer and I talk about the history of Christmas traditions. Specifically, where did things come from? Was Christmas a pagan festival? What about the star? What about the Christmas tree? And actually, you may be surprised to find that the Christmas tree has its roots in the ministry of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. So as Waxer says often in his sermons, content plus context equals meaning. So as we seek to understand the context of Christmas traditions in the biblical sense and why we continue to practice today, it's important that we pass these things on to our children because so many secular mindsets will creep into the culture. And as long as we keep them grounded, we can keep reminding them that Christmas is a sacred holiday. Now let me tell you a little bit more about Waxer. Waxer was raised near Papakulea on Oahu where he was immersed in Hawaiian culture and tradition. His dad was actually the pastor of a local Baptist church here on Oahu where he grew up surfing with dad, learning from parents about what it means to follow Christ, and he was a part of the surf culture, which is where he got the nickname Waxer. So while in college, his love for surfing led him to begin the Surfers for Christ ministry. And then he ended up studying at San Diego State University, Point Loma Nazarene College, and eventually on to Fuller Theological Seminary and completed postgraduate work at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he earned his doctoral degree. He and Cindy founded One Love Ministries in 2006 with just a group of college students, which has grown to three weekend services and is now broadcasted all over the world. Log on to the church's website at onelove.org where you can hear more of his messages there. But for today, I invited him to speak into the lives of families who are passionate about teaching their children about Christ, specifically through the Christmas traditions. And so we are going to see today how all of those things have roots in the gospel message. And you're going to want to take notes because this is some cool stuff. So here we go, episode 21 of the Practical Family Podcast. Where did that come from? The history of Christmas traditions. Thank you for coming on the Practical Family Podcast. This is so exciting to have my pastor on. Do you know that you are the first dude to come on this podcast? Dude, stoked. Well, I'm honored to be here and then honored to be the first dude. <laughs> now, for those of us who may not be as familiar with surf culture, can what? you What? I know. It's crazy. Can you explain to people that Waxer is not your real name and why you got that name? <laughs> well, as a child, I never used Q-tips, so I had huge chunks. No, 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 Ew. just kidding. <laughs> um, in the surf culture, we put wax on top. Unlike skiers who put it on the bottom, we put it on the top for traction. And I had an abundance of wax, and 
my friends, like all friends, were like, you know, hey, I, why buy when I can go borrow it from from David, which is my birth name. And mm-hmm. so I was known as the wax guy, the wax man, and it ended up becoming waxer. There was a movie called Big Wednesday, and I got it. But the reason why I like it is is that it's kind of hard to say Pastor Waxer with a straight face, you know. It gets all that uh, high mucky muck out of there. I'm just a, a, a servant of a great and awesome God. So that's why I go by Waxer. Oh, amen. And we're so blessed to have you as our pastor, which is why I wanted to bring you on today. And you're so gracious to give me your time because last year you did an incredibly compelling message around the holidays Mm. called Where Did That Come From? Mm -hmm. And I took copious notes because as a (laughs) mom of young kids, I was so excited to finally be able to explain to my little ones where our Christmas traditions came from. And you covered pretty much everything. You covered the star, the Christmas tree, the the Santa guy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to see if you could explain to families the, the points that you gave us last year about where these traditions come from, because I find that a lot of families in attempting to be conservative Christians mm-hmm. tend to either go very black and white on these things that have become secular symbols, mm-hmm. like Santa Claus, like mm-hmm. the elves, you know, things like that. Right. Um, so I'd love for you to clarify a few things. So can we start out by just talking about the holiday itself, Christmas. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, first of all, why we do what we do is so important. And so we need to recognize that, that, that traditions for sake of traditions can, you know, be, you know, lost, meaningless. In other words, the meaning is behind why we do something. And there was a purpose for Christmas. The Christian church very intentionally developed Christmas as part of a transformation and, and unfortunately, not revisionism and secularism has, has diminished the purpose of what the church did and why. And so I'm always passionate about explaining that to people as far as our Christmas traditions. You know, we know the Bible says that the truth will set you free. And so often people do not even recognize the truth. So the whole point about Christmas is this. As we, as we look today... You know, and even all of you listening, wouldn't you notice that, in a sense, Christmas has many ways lost its power? You know, back in the day, the whole world seemed to have this stop and this peace, and there was peace on earth, goodwill towards man. And yet we see today it's almost more of a chaotic time and crazy time, and then a polaric time, because you mentioned, because the polarity of those within Christian communities who don't understand, then they want to reject you know, and then the secularism and so forth. And I just throw out all of you that I believe that Christmas has lost its power because it's lost its message. It's lost it, as I said, to the revisionism, the minimalism, the liberalism, and of course, the commercialism. So let's first of all, let's talk about the name, Christmas. First of all, it is a breakdown between two words, and that is Christ Mass. Now, if you notice, now they're wanting to say what? Happy holidays. Mm -hmm. Why is all of a sudden in the last 15 years they wanted to get rid of Christmas? Because Satan knows something more than the church does. That there was power in the name of Christ Mass. First of all, we need to be reminded that God loves the party, Jen. People forget that. And I want all of you to know out there, moms, God's a party God. And we somehow have thrown this out and made him some kind of stoic fuddy-dud. But look at the Old Testament, seven days for this, seven days for this, eat this, 
all the festivals that we have in the Old Testament, God wanted us to do Gilgal, a time to remember and to celebrate because he is a good and awesome God. The joy of the Lord is our strength, you know, not the law of the God, you know, and so people forget that. So God had a mindset of all the festivals. So do we have precedent of God asking his people to take time to set apart to celebrate the awesomeness? Absolutely. Um, so all the way through, we, we, we see this as part of it. So where does Christ mass come from? The real name Christmas. Well, Luke 9, Luke 9, 18 says this. And it came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he questioned them saying, who do the multitudes say that I am? And they answered and said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others one of the prophets who has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And what did Peter answer? You're the Christ, the, the Son Christ, of the living God. The Christ of the Son of the living God. And here is the key. is we all know his response, hey, flesh and blood didn't tell you that, but my Father was in heaven. problem is we don't understand Christ, Christos. Mm-hmm. It is basically the Greek translation of Messiah, Mashiach. Mm-hmm. So when we say Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus is Messiah, it is the Greek stating that the Messiah. Now, that word Christos we use the word anointed. It's literally a translated word anointed. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not only used for Christ. John was known as anointed. Other prophets were known as anointed. So we see anointed throughout the Bible. The difference here in the Matthew passage as well as in the Luke passage was the definite article, thou art the Christ. You are the anointed one, meaning Messiah, not just a anointed one. People will say, hey, that was an anointed message or pastor, I believe, you know, you're anointed. Wonderful. That's great. But it's talking about the full context of the Messiah. And so that was where the phrase, first of all, steps out, which is very important. Then the next phrase is mass. Mass means literally the gathering or the celebration of And so when in the 1600s it was put together by Martin Luther, the context, which we'll talk more about later, Christ mass means the gathering or the celebration of the coming Messiah. Mm. That's what it means. That's why Satan's afraid of it. That's why he wants Walmart to say happy holidays, because he doesn't want the general public saying happy celebration of the coming Messiah who died on the cross for your Mm -hmm. sins. We know what makes him Messiah for us is, in fact, the cross, and we'll look at that later, which is actually in our Christmas meaning. So I love it. When you think about it, when Bing Crosby is saying, I'm dreaming of a white celebration of the gathering coming of the Messiah, Mm -hmm. that's what he's saying. Oh, that's just beautiful. And what even more of a reason for us to say Merry Christmas back to our you know, shopping teller or whatever, you know, they're Mm -hmm. all instructed to say happy holidays so as not to offend, but we still have the freedom to say Merry Christmas because we're proclaiming Christ. Put the, you know, you see the stickers, put the Christ back in Christmas. You know, another just side note of that, Jen, notice how when somebody sneezes, Christians say, bless you. Mm -hmm. Your blessing can't do anything. (laughs) It's God bless you. Mm -hmm. But somehow in the last 30 years, we lost the God and the God bless you. Even the most pagan pagan in a bar, if somebody sneezed, they'd say, God bless you. Mm-hmm. But Satan is subtly removing the God in our planet, in our culture. And he's doing so subtly by even causing Christians to think, oh, it's a pagan holiday, it's a pagan thing, or what does it matter to say happy holidays? No. Mass. Celebrate the gathering, the coming together of what? The coming of Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. 
So that's why Christmas is a very important word to say and say it as much as you can during the holiday. Mm -hmm. But then the second question that everyone always asks is, was Christmas always on the 25th of December? You'll have people who come and all the internet nonsense that goes on. Oh, it's a pagan holiday. It's a pagan festival and Christians shouldn't have anything to do with it and blah, 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 blah. So let me just address that straight. Was quote unquote Christmas a pagan festival? The answer is no. Clearly 100% no. Was there a celebration that went on on December 25th? That answer is yes. It was winter solstice, and they would celebrate it in very pagan and sometimes demonic ways from December 21st to the 22nd, and usually it represented the death of the sun, S-U-N, and by December 25th, the sun would now rise anew into the sky, so it was the rebirth of the S-U-N, the sun. Now, all of a sudden, 325, the Edict of Milan, we have a Christian emperor, says, hey, the world is already celebrating something pagan. Why don't we make it worth celebrating something worth celebrating? And that is the S-O-N. It was a natural transition of taking something that was being used for evil and turning it to good. And it worked for centuries until, in my opinion, morons started bringing out the background and robbing the very fact that the church had completely covered the pagan past, mm. and used it for good. You talk to anyone in the 30s and the 40s in America, Christmas was about the coming of Jesus. You had Mary and Joseph at the fire station on the front corner. Mm -hmm. That's what it was about. Every, isn't our lives, isn't our testimony about that which was once evil, now we can use for good? Yes. Knives. Knives can be used to cut bread or to kill somebody. Knives aren't evil, but in how, in fact, they were used. So the church said, let's take this time when everyone's already stopping for celebration and let's mm -hmm. celebrate something worthy. And that is why it became on December 25th. Then we also have a whole bunch of information, which I don't have time to go in today, that the fact that, you know, the wise men itself, there is extreme documentation. And, and uh, I would love for you to go online, family, look up a thing called the Bethlehem Star. You can watch it. Believe it or not, as you know, the wise men came not at the Christmas scene. Remember, you've heard me teach that. Right, yeah. Two years later. So if you have your wise men, folks, right there with baby Jesus in the manger, bad, wrong, incorrect. Take those wise men and put it on the bookshelf on the cross of the room because it's two years before they get Seriously, there. Seriously, let's get our kids <laughs> theologically correct, people. Move your wise men across Move the Move the wise men. It says they came into the house. Um, but anywho... What we have been able to see through the astrological records as you go back and forth that very, very likely the day in which those wise men showed up when when um, the two different Jupiter and radius, the stars were going in retrograde motion back and forth falls on a December 25th. Mm. So the, in fact, the first Christmas where gifts were given because of Jesus was in fact on the 25th. That's awesome, Wax. And I was going to mention that as a resource anyway. And we'll have that in the show notes where you can go to purchase the DVD called The Bethlehem Star. It was researched by a gentleman who was originally a lawyer. And he was just so fascinated with astronomy and all of this and that he created this as his own project. So go and check that out. We show it to our congregation every year. And mm -hmm. you will be absolutely amazed, especially for your kids to sit down and watch the, if they're interested in space science at all, they will absolutely love this resource. Absolutely. 
So let me, let me finish on this point. So the name Christ Mass, the win was the 25th. But the key of the element, if anyone comes up to you and says, but this pagan thing was done here, or this or that, as I mentioned, our testimonies, we, hey, I once was doing things for evil, now I'm using it for good. But the key word is celebrate. And I want your audience to recognize, I mean, you and Bruce, do you always celebrate your anniversary on the anniversary day? No. No. <laughs> Life happens. Yep. But you spend that time to celebrate. You set aside. Mm-hmm. What does the whole word sanctification mean? I taught you it means to what? Set apart. Set apart, yeah. So we set apart this season, this time to celebrate the best gift of the dying of the Son of God, the rising of the Son of God, for the payment of the price of my sin. Amen. That's Christmas. Amen. Amen. So let's go into the next, uh, or I guess one of the more prevalent symbols of Christmas itself, and that's the tree. <laughs> now this, okay, I mean, we've seen trees. I, unfortunately, I've seen even, uh, I think the new fad now in the secular world is to hang trees upside down. Ooh, we're going to talk about that. Oh, which is, anyway, yes, I can't wait to get to that one. But mm-hmm. But the whole symbolism of the tree, what it was originally intended for, and this actually has roots in one of our favorite characters in history, homeschool families, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, absolutely. So tell us about that, Wax. Well, again, people think not only is the holiday pagan, but then they think most of the customs that we do are pagan. And again, in fact, not true. Mm. So your favorite and mine is, in fact, the tree. Now... People love to be able to come out and be able to quote and say, oh, it's a pagan symbol. Look, it says so in the Bible. You'll have Jehovah's Witnesses. You'll have others who will come up to you and try to quote Jeremiah chapter 10, starting at verse 2, and they will read, Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be terrified by the signs in the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them, for the customs of the people are delusions, because it is wood cut from the forest, The work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold, and they fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not totter. And so they'll they'll look at this scripture and say, here, see, this is what they're talking about is bringing in these trees, and it's pagan, and it should be avoided. Oh, my goodness, family, will we continue reading, please? Context plus content equals meaning. Verse 5. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they, and they cannot speak, and they must be carried, but they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do you no harm, nor any good. What is he talking about? (laughs) Idols. Idols. It's carved idols that looked like, do you expect a tree to speak? Do you ever stand by a tree and say, oh, trees speak? No. But something that looked in the image of a human. Mm -hmm. And so the prophet was mocking these idols that were being made by men. Has nothing to do. Yes, it was originally made of wood, but then they would overlay them in gold and silver and other items to bring them in. The whole point with Paul, great as Diana, Artemis, and because the idols weren't being sold. We know this is a practice of the day. So then what is really being spoken about? Is this tree pagan? Absolutely not. In fact, it's probably the most precious gift of Christmas I think we have to understand the purpose. You see, the Christmas tree, as I said, was a blend of two different Christmas traditions that had begun already by the 16th century. One was called the Paradise Tree. The other was called the Christmas Pyramid. As I mentioned before, 
there were pagan practices, and the pagan practices would take an evergreen tree because when winter is bleak and everything is dead or covered in white, you have these beautiful green trees. Everything else dies, all the leaves, and it's nothing but sticks. But so, and the evergreen tree became a representation of hope to people around the world, that there would be spring, that there would be life, a hope of life. And so the Christians then began to grab that same symbol and began to say that what we see in the celebration of Christmas is that Jesus has given us the hope of life. So they began to bring in these trees and begin to decorate them, which I will speak about in a moment. And then the other symbol at this time throughout Germany was called the Christmas Pyramid. Many of you still have them. You've seen them and you didn't know it. Those little figurines that were in a pyramid that had each little person of the story of the gospel, whether it was the wise men, whether it was the angel, whether the shepherds. And so they would carve each of these little pieces. People need to be reminded that literacy was not fluent. So symbols were given to remind the people of story. Oh, I see. so this this is what even a lot of families I see do as an Advent activity with their kids, with the young kids. That's mm-hmm. what we do. We use ornaments, we use symbols and things like that. Just in in the Gospel Christmas book that we're uh, promoting this month, uh, Jennifer Moy has done the same thing with her crafts that you can do with your kids. So. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the literacy thing makes so much sense. You, you, Many of you would recognize the Scandinavian versions of this little tower, and then it had that little windmill on the top. Remember seeing those? Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. So Martin Luther said, here is the, the telling of the story of the gospel story of the coming of Jesus Christ and the tree which represented everlasting life, mm. new life, life in the midst of death, He took those two different symbols and began to put them together for a celebration. And this is what was so amazing. Now, first of all, why a tree? Well, the tree biblically represents the cross. Most people forget that, that the whole purpose of it, Acts 5.30, audience, for God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And then the whole purpose for us as we recognize is that that tree is the cross, and he redeemed us from the curse of the law. 1 Corinthians 1 says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That is why the cross became the symbol of the New Testament church. Most people don't realize that that wasn't our first symbol. It was, in fact, an anchor. And then the ixthus, the fish, and then it, then it morphed into the cross because as the preaching and as, as obviously Corinthians and Galatians and others were being written then by Paul, then we begin to embrace the power and the need of the cross. For it is in the cross that we just read that your sin and mine was paid for so that we now have the salvation of God. So the purpose of the cross is why Messiah came. He came to die on the cross for you and for me. 
Very, very, very critical. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen an X mass when somebody wrote down an X miss? Yeah, I feel guilty every time I want to abbreviate the word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, know? when I was a young kid, I saw X mass. I'm like, it's not X mass, it's Christ mass, yeah. it's about Christ. No, yeah. believe it or not, when you see a railroad sign and you see that X, do you call it a railroad X or do you call it a railroad Crossing. It actually is the more literal explanation that it is cross mass. Mm. Christ, what makes him our savior, was that he went to the cross for you and I. Luther, in his writings, he begins to understand Galatians, then begins to put down now this context of the cross and the central of the cross. He looks at the tree and recognizes that the evergreen tree was, in fact, the tree that God paid his price for us and gave us everlasting life. Mm -hmm. And so then they begin to develop this symbol. They bring in the middle of winter, in the middle of darkness and death, this newness of the rising of the sun because the tree representing the cross. Now, church, listen to this. This is when it gets fun. So then they started putting candles on it to represent the light of the world. Mm -hmm. Then they put the garland across it, the red representing the blood that was shed for us, the gold representing that it was all God who died for God so loved the world. He died on a cross for us. They put the star or an angel on the top because biblically both of those are what led the people to the Messiah. And the gnarliest of gnarly is that then the gifts were then placed underneath the tree, which represented the light of the world, the king of kings, the blood shed for us. And so the gifts are on the bottom because when Jesus died, his blood shed to the ground and gave you and I the gift of salvation. Mm -hmm. Nothing that we earned. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Amen. That is beautiful. You know why we come in the morning early and run down to the tree and have our little four-year-olds annoy us and say, let's open, 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 open? Why? Because the women came first thing in the morning to find the gift of resurrection. That, so much great information, Wax. Thank you for sharing with us. Now, we have more to talk about because we haven't even addressed this Santa guy. Mm. And if you stick with me a little bit, we can cover him in the next episode. So will you hang out for a little bit more so we can hear some more? Absolutely. Be honored to. Well, what a wealth of information from our very own Waxer Tipton from One Love Ministries in downtown Honolulu, Hawaii. Again, you can find the church and more archived messages by Waxer at onelove.org. And stay tuned for the next episode of this podcast because we are going to have Waxer back talking about the history of Santa Claus. Yes, that St. Nicholas guy is a super interesting uh, person in history, and God appointed him for such a time, and we're going to talk more about that in the next episode, so don't miss it. And for more cool resources from Practical Family, visit practicalfamily.org. Make sure to download the Heart of Worship Christmas songbook. I will have that up in the show notes so that you can get a link to download it for free. It's 12 classic Christmas songs, the ones that have a biblical message, and I've included scripture that correlates with that message and also an iTunes and a YouTube playlist so that you can have it on your device on the go so that your kids can learn 
classic Christmas music. I know anybody can turn on Pandora Station or Sirius Radio or something and listen to all the holiday tunes, but these 12 in particular I handpicked as songs that have a biblical message so that we can go over the Christmas narrative with our kids so they can learn the vocabulary in the songs like in Excelsis Deo and things like that. What does that mean? Where does it come from in the Latin and everything? It's just so educational, right? And so Practical Family, again, exists to build strong foundations and healthy homes. So please, if you're listening to this podcast and you've gotten some great um, inspiration, encouragement out of it, please recommend it to your friends. Share the podcast link. And what's also important is uh, the rating. So if you could rate the Practical Family Podcast for me, just leave a few comments about what you like about it, things like that. And uh, then our ratings will show up higher in the iTunes list, which is just awesome. And we get the word out to more people. So again, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Practical Family Podcast, where our heart is to encourage families to build strong foundations and healthy homes.